Let us pray. Holy God, may the words I speak and the thoughts of our hearts transform us into the likeness of Christ through the power of your spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, well, that's quite a job description for the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Sent by Jesus, the Holy Spirit will, will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He will also guide Jesus' followers into all the truth. Well, thank goodness that isn't our calling in life, that it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Sadly, though, some people wrongly assume that it is their calling and have created havoc for others, perhaps even for you. I can think of times when it certainly caused havoc for me. Without locating this passage in its context, we might come to some really unhelpful conclusions. Not only are sin and righteousness and judgment weighty words, the truth is complex. Context is vital to an informed reading of scripture. Otherwise, it can be a bit like following directions on a GPS, but ending up on the opposite side of a property that we might be looking for. Has that ever happened to you? It happened to me just this week. My GPS took me in the pelting rain to one side of a property when actually access was on the other. Reading a piece of scripture without locating it in the bigger picture of the narrative can leave us stranded without a way into the passage to understand what the writer intended. The intention of John's gospel is to reveal who Jesus is, especially in his relationship to the Father and the Holy Spirit. They are one. John also reveals how life can be for us when we are in relationship with Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you remember last week's image? It was of the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in our lives when we live as though we are branches grafted onto the vine, who is Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit regarding sin, judgment and righteousness needs to be understood in the context of who Jesus is since the Holy Spirit takes what belongs to Jesus and reveals it to us. Well, who is Jesus on this day we call Palm Sunday when we remember Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem? John's account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on a donkey, as Stuart has mentioned, comes a few chapters before. It follows the story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with perfume, signifying that Jesus is the Messiah, anointed to be king while also being prepared for burial. John writes, the crowd took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. These were dangerous words. Soon, Jesus' very identity will be on trial before the Roman tribunal. Pilate will ask, they say you are the king of the Jews. Are you? 
In our reading today, Jesus tells his followers that he is the son of the Father to whom he is returning, and he will send the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, to be with them when he goes, to be with us. They will need the help of the Holy Spirit because being known as a follower of Christ will come at a cost. Jesus warns his Jewish followers they will be persecuted through excommunication from the synagogue, a very painful consequence. This means they'll be alone without the community supporting them. Jesus also says, an hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so they are offering worship to God. Sadly, one of the facts of history is that even Christians have persecuted those believed to be heretics and they've considered this service to God. Even more sadly, many times, if the heretic had lived in a different decade or a different century or under a different regime, their perspective may have been considered orthodoxy after all and their lives spared. In the end, heresy was the crime that Jesus was charged with. Claiming to be God meant punishment by death. However, we know that's not the end of the story. Stay tuned to celebrate the happy ending next Sunday. But when Jesus' friends begin to understand that he will be leaving them, they're in sorrow. To prepare them for the challenges ahead, Jesus says, while I'm here in the flesh with you, I can't be with you everywhere you go. When I am gone, rather than losing me, you will have me everywhere you go. And in whatever you are facing, I can be part of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Then comes the Holy Spirit's job description, part one. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit will prove the world wrong. The Greek word translated as prove actually doesn't have a precise English equivalent. It has the sense of both convicting as well as convincing, where the proof becomes evident when simply considered in the light of who God is. Common Grace is a community of people gathered from all Christian traditions. They're people who seek to be shaped for mission in the world by who God is. As followers of Christ, they understand that God's mission to bring wholeness to all of creation happens when our lives of faith are centered on Jesus and the justice, beauty, and generosity lived out so abundantly by him. That is, they see personal spirituality and social engagement as integral to following Jesus, and they encourage Christians across all traditions to take some time on Palm Sunday to consider how we can celebrate the coming of God's kingdom through the welcome and respect that we show to all people and to stand for justice and dignity, especially for those who are poor, persecuted, and in mourning. 
we're going to see a short clip that reflects how the Holy Spirit works to bring hope to people in the world by revealing who Jesus is amidst the distortion of the world's perception. And while this clip is a few years old, I think it captures these things very well. They call Australia the lucky country, but right now it feels like the angry country. Angry people shouting at each other and our country seems to be losing its way. Less generous, less united, less equal. Many Australians are longing for some hope, for a new direction, but where do they turn? Politicians, business, celebrities, they're just looking after themselves. And religion, for so many Australians, Christian just means hypocrite, angry, judgmental, irrelevant. But we're hearing a whisper, a story of hope, of good news, a story that's brought many people a new hope, a new spirit, a new direction. The story of Jesus, who called his followers to love like him, to bring hope to the hopeless, good news to the poor and oppressed, to break bread with the outcasts. This is the Jesus some of us are now getting to know. In his life, death and resurrection, a Jesus who is passionate about justice, whose love is transforming, intriguing and relentless, who changes hearts, people and nations. We long to hear the voice of this Jesus echo across our nation in acts of faith, hope and love to help us all get back on track. This is our vision, a movement across our land, the followers of Jesus from churches of every stripe and colour, empowered by the Spirit, united in the hope that God's healing justice would roll out like a river across this land, united for the common good, together finding common ground, sharing in common grace, and bringing to our country the beauty, generosity and justice fully revealed in Jesus that God extends to all, seeking to be more like Jesus. And so in the time we have, let's explore what sin means in the context of today's reading and what it is about sin that the world has got wrong. Sin is, by and large, a religious word, yet to define as an offence against God that spoils our relationship with God is too simplistic. The language used for offensive human behaviour in the Old Testament is complex. The most common Hebrew terms are translated by the English words sin, transgression, iniquity, rebellion or evil. There are three main streams of thought in the Old Testament, and I'll mention two, and two in a moment. But I want to mention here that the wisdom literature takes a very pragmatic approach and focuses on the consequence of our sin in our human lives, especially as it disrupts relationships. And sometimes the wisdom literature is even a little skeptical over, about over-theologizing about sin. The main New Testament term for sin is harmatia, with a range of meanings similar to the Hebrew word for sin, where the general translation is missing the mark. Jesus establishes himself as the one who has power to forgive sins. He goes to great lengths to reassure people that sickness and other troubles are not the consequence of sin in our lives. 
The Pharisees, however, considered this blasphemous, as only sin could be resolved by God. So when John the Baptist identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's referring to one of the sacrificial rites from the Old Testament, from the priestly tradition of the Old Testament. And likewise, when Jesus and John the Baptist before him invite people to repent, that is to turn away from sin and live into forgiveness, they're also reflecting on an Old Testament prophetic tradition. Repentance from sin is incorporated into the church's service of baptism, as we know. So we encounter the Holy Spirit's role in dealing with sin on the night of Jesus' resurrection. So after next Sunday, Jesus breathes the Spirit into his followers and commands them to forgive as he did, creating a community of people connected to one another, empowered by the Spirit to love and forgive as Jesus did. Against the strength of such a community, sin loses much of its power. Jesus, did you have you noticed, seemed to have a preference for welcoming into his community of followers people who were considered sinners. And he certainly had a preference for hanging out with them over the religious elite. Taking sin into the realm of everyday life, because part of making God possible for people is speaking about these things in language that they find accessible. So to do that, we know that there is a sense of disorder that affects our existence. Wouldn't you agree? It might be described as falling, falling away from or falling short of what could be better or more life-giving or more reflective of the image of God within us. Or this disorder might be described as alienation from our true selves, from others, from community or from God to the point that we might describe a sense of being lost. While deep despair can arise from this sense of disorder, of existence, we needn't be without hope, since the very awareness of our situation suggests the possibility that we can be made whole. John's Gospel, through the work of the Holy Spirit, reassures us wonderfully of two things. That Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved, made whole through him. While we need to address sin, we don't need to carry the weight or the burden of sin. And secondly, we need not live with a sense of having fallen away or of lostness. Jesus came so that we might have life in all its fullness, to have life abundantly. What about when it comes to judgment? When it comes to judgment, of what does the Holy Spirit convict and convince us? Divine judgment is at the heart of most Mediterranean religious traditions. The most important concept for understanding judgment in the Bible is the idea of covenant. The covenant that God makes with God's people implies relationship. God sets conditions for that relationship, such as orienting ourselves towards worship and a desire for righteous rule in society. So judgment, in a biblical sense, is not a simple legal arrangement between the law and behavior. That would be the world's take on judgment, an eye for an eye, 
a tooth for a tooth. Another important concept regarding judgment in the, is God's loving kindness or mercy. That's Old Testament language, God's loving kindness or mercy. In the New Testament, we call this grace. Grace is integral to the process of repentance and forgiveness. God is not bound by rituals. For people who were not Jewish, and therefore outside the covenantal system, repentance was the pathway to forgiveness. God's mercy or grace is appealed to and found to be generously loving and kind. Grace and judgment go hand in hand. The world would have us see only judgment, behavior judged by the law. With God, grace and judgment always go hand in hand. John's Gospel poses a particularly interesting conundrum, though, with regard to judgment, and we came, it across, we came across it in our reading. I'm not sure if you picked it up. There's a tension between a final judgment that is yet to take place, a final judgment that has already occurred, and a final judgment that is happening in the present. And it seems that the key to understanding this conundrum is the strong emphasis on God's presence in Jesus, which turns the life and words of Jesus into an act of judgment. How? Judgment, as the world sees it, is judged by the law, which of course is entirely necessary when we're looking at criminal activity and we are ensuring the safety and well-being of society. The life and words of Jesus as an act of judgment is about who God is and who we are in the light of God's revelation and loving kindness and grace. That is, the Spirit works with our humanness in a cooperative way so that while we become more aware of sin in our lives and relationships, our humanness is not violated. Rather, we gain a heightened sense of our potential and who we are called to be, fully human. Grace does not remove our freedom. Grace enhances our true nature. And then regarding righteousness. Righteousness has a broad range of meanings in early Jewish texts. One common idea is that righteousness governs relationships. Central to all ideas is that righteousness is found in God and human beings mirror God's righteousness by observing God's will and behavior towards one another. Righteousness links humankind with God. So human behavior that doesn't have the well-being of other human beings as its intent is not reflecting God's righteousness. Jesus' command to us is to love one another with the same kind of love with which we have been loved by God. I wonder how we might change the narrative with which we speak of others to present them in the best possible light. And I wonder what difference that would make as we give space for the Spirit to work in our lives and to reveal God's righteousness. As we close, let's touch on the Holy Spirit's job description, part two. The Holy Spirit's work was also found in guiding Jesus' followers into all the truth. 
Exploration of sin in John's gospel runs alongside the interpretation of the death of Jesus as a liberating event that reveals God's love and grace and forgiveness and brings peace. There is healing when we're able to see with the eyes of faith. We can see the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. That is, truth becomes a person with whom we have a relationship rather than a head full of knowledge. The final revelation of the truth that sets us free is in the command from the one who is the truth with whom we are in relationship to love and call to love as he loved. So as we locate our way of being in the world, sometimes we do feel at odds with what goes on in the world. Sometimes we will feel at odds with what goes on in the church. As the Holy Spirit does the Spirit's work to prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, we can have courage to trust that the Spirit will also guide us as Jesus' followers into all the truth, that is, the assurance of God's presence and the reality of forgiveness and grace. This is the hope for which the world longs. The presence of the Spirit will turn pain into joy as the wholeness of creation is restored, as we are restored and made whole, and as we participate in God's work in the world through the power of the Spirit. Amen.